Hi, my name's Bree, and I have no idea what I'm doing, but I have a lot of questions. Who are you people? No, really, who are you? That's a great question, Bree. That's like a crazy loaded question. Ooh, that is a great question. It's an interesting question. That's probably a really good question. Ooh, that's an excellent question, Miss Bree. Oh, that's a deep question. It's a good question. <laughs> it's like, what is the meaning of life? Fuck if I know. Any more questions? Oh, yeah, Bree? I have a lot of them. I've never been asked that question before. Does anyone really know? Well, I'm here to find out. I'm Bree, and this is the Bree Search Project. My guest today is a super talented musician who is currently working on his first solo EP, has a new release dropping so, so soon, and is patiently awaiting the all clear to go back on tour with St. Paul and the Broken Bones, who, if you missed it, just dropped a full-length live recording album this week with 50% of the proceeds benefiting Equal Justice Initiative, which I've been listening to this record all week, and my dude is a total beast. Very excited to catch up with you, Kevin Leon. Hey, buddies. Hey. Right. <laughs> Thanks for having me. Uh, I am uh, very excited to be here. Thanks for listening to the to the album. I, I actually didn't even know that thing was getting released until the day before it got released. And Paul messaged me and, and was like, hey, by the way, we're releasing a live record tomorrow. FYI. Um, oh, that's cool. And I listened to it. And thankfully, everybody played pretty well. <laughs> Oh, yeah. Yeah. Can you pick apart everybody's performances when you listen to stuff like that? I mean, first of all, it does. It sounds great because I, I usually don't actually dig live right, right. recordings of things, you know, for a lot of reasons. But it actually sounds really, really good. That is because of our front of house engineer. Nice. He mixed, he mixed it and mastered it. His name is Dave Lyles. He lives up in New York. He's an amazing, uh, amazing sound engineer. He's worked with Charles Bradley and uh, uh, Sharon King. Bonobo and all, all these great soul and funk acts. Nice. So, uh, yeah, he's the man. I usually start out by asking people, imagine we're in the most comfortable place. Okay. Having a chat. Where are we and what are we drinking? Ooh, that is a great question. The most comfortable place. Comfortable in what way? Like physically comfortable or? Well, so that's the, a follow-up question to that is what is your definition of comfortable? Yeah. Um, right now, uh, if I had to answer anything is does this have to be real life or can it be an imaginary world both i mean okay. i like to i like to put people at ease by their imaginary version of comfort and then pretend you're there okay and then you know Dig tell it. me what we're drinking i like this a lot um <laughs> right now because of the circumstances uh if we could be anywhere i would say a hole in the wall dive bar Ooh, somewhere in sticky like, tables yeah just like nasty dirty stickers all over the wall uh old beer on the floor uh, <laughs> dive bar with some yes. indie band playing in the corner and we're both drinking like pbrs because nice I'm, i miss that so much right now i miss yeah. going out to bars and having a beer with friends and listening to a band i've never heard of um oh, so yeah that's, i would that's very true yeah i would i would move mountains right now just to be able to hang out at a crappy dive bar and hear a crappy band play and hang out with people and drink a beer. 
Oh, that does sound really nice. Yeah. I um I'm on your level though because I'm drinking beer Dig it. for you tonight. Crappy beer at that. But more importantly, hell yeah! What what is it? Oh, it's like it's like Bud Select or Coors, I, I Coors that. Light or something. <laughs> it's like it's some <laughs> that that wasn't the important part. Um, <laughs> more importantly, is what I'm drinking it out of, which is my Hofbrauhaus uh, oh, wow. Stein that I absconded with yeah. from our time in Germany. Wasn't that at the Hofbrauhaus House in Munich? So I have two of them. Oh. One of them, <laughs> one of them, yes, is from the Hofbrauhaus, House, I, the big giant one. Oh, and then okay. this, the one that I'm drinking out of, is a, the Rodler glass <laughs> that I took from right. the park when we were in the park in Munich. I do remember that, yeah. So Kevin and I went on tour together 10 years ago, we've, we've figured out, uh, in Europe, which is how our paths crossed. My strongest memory of you, I have two or a few. Oh My strongest memory of you from tour <laughs> was walking through the streets like late at night in Munster and you were like freestyling oh, and we were God. all drinking out of the same giant jug of wine. Oh, I do remember that part. <laughs> so while I don't have jug wine to drink for you tonight, I've got beer in my my Stein. <laughs> that that'll do. That is awesome. <laughs> that that was a trip down memory lane. I forgot about that. Oh, oh man, man, that really does seem like a lifetime ago. Uh, and right? I would also like to clarify uh, this term tour because you guys, the choir was performing a lot. We just like watched you all sing. And yeah. flitted around Europe and drank too much. Yes, correct. The jazz group, I mostly remember we used to sing in between our rehearsals. We used to go down and sing with you guys in that tiny little basement recording mm -hmm. studio place, whatever that was. Yeah. So, yeah, I can say I can say that that I've officially played with you. Which... <laughs> That's true. We have, we have <laughs> jammed. The jam has been had. We have we have jammed. <laughs> OK, so. The first question I ask everyone is, who are you? Who am I? Oh, that's a deep question. Right. Uh, I don't know if I even know that yet. See? Um, who am I? Is that as open-ended as it seems? Correct. That's kind of the point. Okay, dig it. Um, who am I? Uh, well, my name's Kevin. Uh, I live in Atlanta, Georgia. I'm originally from Birmingham, Alabama. Not not England. I'm not sure if you <laughs> by the accent. Um and I am a, uh, I'm a musician. Uh, I'm a lover of people and the outdoors. I am an artist and I am a very silly young boy in the body of a grown man. <laughs> I think that's the best way to answer that. <laughs> Not much has changed, I guess. Yeah, yeah. Uh, <laughs> the hair is longer and there's some more gray in it. And hopefully I've gotten better at what I do. And that is about the extent of what's changed since I saw you about a decade ago. Yeah, dude, literally your hair has become like a thing, which is stellar to me. It's a little out of, out of hand. It's yeah. it's its own. Does it have its own Instagram? Like it's its own personality <laughs> at this point. I have definitely had people tell me that my hair should have its own Instagram. It definitely um, should. I, I have a love-hate relationship with it because all at once I'm uh, I'm sort of recognizable, especially right. to people who are fans of St. Paul, right? Um, because of it. But at the same time, like I'm more I'm more than a clump of hair. You guys. 
My eyes are down here. My eyes are up here. <laughs> um, uh, but uh, yeah, it's it's sort of. Have you ever heard about Bob Ross's relationship with his with his afro, or as one of my friends calls white man afros, his Anglo? <laughs> no, no. Did he hate it? Uh, yeah, yeah, he was. I don't know if he hated it at the start of it, but at a certain point. By the time he, he started being defined it. by it. Yeah, it became his image and he wanted to cut it off and his wife wouldn't let him because mm. it became so married with his image. And I am by no means on the level of uh, spiritual o- awakenedness or, right. uh, or success or artistry of someone like Bob Ross. But I do struggle with my hair identity. My hair identity. See, now you know what? That's how women feel all the time. That you're like, hey, I believe it. I'm more, I'm more than this. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I, I can empathize a little bit now. Yeah. I mean, why? You started growing it out. Why? Why did I start growing out? I, I think I started, I'd, I'd always wanted long hair, but when I was in high school, I really hated it. I really hated that my hair was curly. I moved to Atlanta for a gig. Um, and the gig was, uh, they wanted a certain look out of us. So, mm-hmm. um, I had like one of those hipster haircuts, uh, short, real short on the sides and sort of yeah. door type of thing on top. Um, right. and when that gig ended, I was like, you know what? Screw it. I'm just not going to do anything to this and just let it grow. And I have not done anything to it since when that was about six or seven years, seven years ago now. Wow, I've I've had it trimmed just a little bit, but otherwise, uh, right, it, it is a monstrosity, dude. It's intense. And first of all, you guys can go stalk Kevin's Instagram and see <laughs> this mane of hair that we're talking about. It is intensely it is. curly. Like it's not like mine is like wavy and kind of just like unruly. This is like it's real curly. And it's like ramen noodle level. Yeah. And it, but it's thick too. And so I can't imagine like how hot I know how hot my hair is and it's nothing compared to yours. And I just can't imagine how hot you get playing and like, yeah, um, it's, it's definitely not ideal, a lot of times, especially <laughs> during summer uh, festival season. Right. Right. It is very, very hot. Um, but it's, you know, you got to suffer for your art, bro. <laughs> If that's all you have to do is keep up a haircut, I feel like you've got it. You've got it made. (laughs) Yeah, no, it's it's an aesthetic thing, and I even if it is going to be sweaty and awful, I just sort of say, okay, it's worth it. I have to, I have to let it down. It's a thing. You got to give the fans what they want. Yep, yep. (laughs) And everybody wants this hair. Everybody in America wants this hair, whether they know it or not. This is true. It's good. It's (laughs) good. Whether they know it or not. God, I don't know how I feel about the fact that we've talked my hair talked about my hair for the past like two minutes. <laughs> it's a, it was a topic that we had to cover. Um, yeah. Okay, so let's let's get into music. And you're a musician. Um, how do you hear music? How do you understand it? How do you dissect it? How do you imbue it? Do you do you feel like you have a different perspective innately, or that you've developed a different perspective because of studying it? Uh, oh, those are good questions. Mm. Um, so I, I think that I'm sort of a, a hypersensitive person in general. And I think I experience music in that way. Like I'm really easily and deeply affected by music and art uh, of any medium. And I'm, I like that that is a thing that naturally happens in me. Uh, so I get inspired really easily. 
so I, I had that in my corner from the beginning, but as far as like understanding music, it's been a struggle. Like I have, I've, I've been a slow learner, sort of a late bloomer. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, of course, studying music for the majority of my life now, I uh, started when I was four, 13 or 14, I think. I certainly have a different perspective than I did uh, before I did. Uh, as far as I, as far as how I hear it, um, it's it sort of depends on the day um, and what I'm listening to and what I'm sort of inundating myself with. Right. Um, I'm I'm a drummer uh, primarily. That's my that's my primary instrument. So a, a lot of times I hear music from the bottom up. I hear like rhythm and I hear uh, the the baseline and all that. Right. Uh, and, then, and then I hear the melody uh, af- afterwards. But then like there may be times when I'm on like a big uh, Shostakovich kick or something like that. And I'm, uh, and I'm really focusing, I'm really listening a lot to his harmonies and, and his melodies. And so and for a little while I hear the music bottom down. Um, and I'm, I'm also a, a writer. I'm, I'm a composer. So, uh, what I'm listening to affects how I hear it a lot. Like recently I've been listening to a lot of modern, like uh, neo soul hip hop type stuff. Um, a lot of producers music. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's producers hear music uh, in a bigger sense. They hear the, the whole picture as opposed to like someone who's just a drummer, or just a guitar right, player. Right, right. Focus in on that one thing. Um, so when I'm really diving into something like that, like some a producer who makes music or uh, a, a film, somebody who scores films or something like that, mm-hmm. uh, it like opens my ears up a little bit so that I hear the, the bigger picture. Right. Um, the last thing I'll say about it is that I'm also a really big visual art fan. Uh, actually, if you could see me right now, there's like 10 or 12 paintings hanging above my head right now. Nice. We have all this loud, colorful art in our front room. Um, so I, I get really inspired by visual art. Um, and I think that the only difference between visual art and music are that, are how you intake them. You know what I mean? Like right, at the end right. of the day, it's all the same stuff. It's all art. It's all a medium for you, for people to express themselves. So a lot of times I try to hear music as just what are they trying to say? You know what I mean? What what kind of emotions or feelings or vibe are they trying to get across? And not necessarily like what rhythm are they playing here? The or analytics what? of music. Yeah. That's a That's a good point. And that's interesting because I feel like especially as performers and as artists, we get lost in that sometimes of like Mm -hmm. dissecting the parts of things and we lose sight of, and you made an interesting point because I was, I was going to liken it to artwork in, in the way it makes you feel, whatever it makes you feel, Mm -hmm. what it brings up in you, how you kind of take it in. But on top of that is what they're trying to convey. Yeah. is equally as important and totally different from maybe how you are perceiving it. So that's an interesting kind of perspective to step back and see the bigger the bigger picture. Yeah. You know? Definitely. When you I feel like when you get when you get really deep in any craft, it doesn't really matter what it is, whether it's uh, art or music or cooking or dance or whatever, it's really easy to get wrapped up in the technical part of the technical aspects of it and especially coming from a uh, collegiate 
background, like right. studying music at a university level, I really had to sort of un, rewire a lot of those of those circuits that had me thinking uh, technically all the time. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it's so yeah, it's so easy to get caught up in that as opposed to just hearing it or experiencing it as a listener or a, or an observer would. You know what right. I mean? And I think that's invaluable as a maker of art. If you can't really put yourself in the shoes of the people you're get, you're making the art for, there's like a big language barrier. You know what I mean? Oh, that's a really, really good point. And something I feel like gets lost a lot, especially in music today, is that they're just cranking it out so fast <clears throat> mm-hmm. that it's really easy to lose sight of what are you what are you trying to elicit in the people that are going to hear this yeah you know yeah. that's a good point there's actually the, there's this idea i learned about this from a friend who's an he's an active musician up in nashville there's this idea in the, in nashville studios i won't say all of them but in, in a lot of them at least apparently there's, there's this idea of writing for becky becky is this this name that gets thrown around becky with the good hair that's a great question. I don't know, I don't know <laughs> what her hair game is like. I thought this was... She's not I on your was, level, Kevin. She's yeah. not on your level. <laughs> Who is? Um, <laughs> no one. <laughs> oh, God. I'm, I'm making so many uh, stupid tongue-in-cheek, like, braggadocious comments right now <laughs> that right after this podcast, all of my hair is going to fall out. I'm, no, I'm it's gonna not. Come and smack me on the back of the head. Um, <laughs> Uh, but there's this, you know, this idea in Nashville studios of writing for Becky. And I don't know if this is a good thing or a bad thing, but uh, they, they write for Becky in the sense, like, what is going to speak to, you know, the soccer mom, middle America soccer mom. That's oh, right. Her like kids. general. Exactly. Like they'll be writing something and one of the musicians will come up with an idea and the producer might say, OK, is Becky going to be able to understand that or is that like over her head? Um, uh, I don't know how I feel about that. I don't know how I feel about it either. I don't. I don't know if it's a good thing or a bad thing because, on the one hand, they're trying to speak directly to their audience, but then there's the question of their motive and why. Why are they trying to speak to them like that? Is it because right, they want right. to reach them, or is it because they want their, their, their the money? most I, general I honestly... populace, you know, person yeah. who has the least discerning opinions? Yeah. So I. I don't know. Uh, I'm I'm pretty neutral on that. I just thought it was I just thought it was really interesting. Uh, speaking of speaking your speaking your listeners' yeah. language, yeah, you know what I mean. No, that that is interesting. Um, I want uh, so first of all, you're a drummer. I want to ask you what is the difference between a percussionist and a drummer? Oh, uh, mm, I think it's I think usually when people think of percussion, a percussionist is someone who plays anything but the drum set. Um, okay. So, like, if you go to a gig, if you go, if you go see a band, and there's somebody playing congas, or they have like a, an array of percussion instruments, you know, congas and cowbells and, and snare drums or whatever, that's a percussionist. And then there's the drummer that is playing the drum kit. Uh, but really, it's just semantics because <laughs> right. I am a percussionist. Right. Uh, you hit things. Yeah. Exactly. I, I hit things for a living. Uh, <laughs> so yeah, I think. In the grand scheme of things, when people talk about a percussionist, it's some basically someone who's playing a percussion instrument that is not the drum set, uh-huh. which is really just a bunch of percussion instruments 
arranged put together. <laughs> yeah. Um, so I don't know if you saw Questlove put out something on his. Do you follow Questlove on Instagram? Oh yeah. And so he put out something. It was actually a while ago because I went and looked at it today. But he was talking about how drumming is the GPS of music. Okay. Right. Like it directs the flow and tells people's bodies how to respond, tells people how, like what to do. Right. And how we as listeners respond to certain beats and patterns unconsciously. Mm -hmm. I want to see if you can kind of explain some of those to people who might not know the difference or kind of identify what we are used to hearing. Okay. You know what I mean? Yeah. Specific thing he was talking about was like common beats of the breakdown that he was, he was breaking apart like the four on the floor. Oh, okay. Yeah. Can you tell people what four on the floor means? Yeah. Four on the floor is if you're, if you can picture a drum set or if you can't just Google drum set. Real quick. <laughs> um, there's a, there's a bass drum or a kick drum. Uh, it's the drum. You, you hit the pedal with your foot and it goes boom. Yeah. Right? yeah. Um, and uh, four on the floor literally means you're hitting four beats on that big old kick drum in a measure. So, uh, disco music is a really good example of like, right. <laughs> right. Um, or like a lot of modern EDM or pop music is a lot of like <laughs> stuff like that. Right. Uh, so yeah, that's four on the floor, which is exactly, he was like disco and house are the two examples of this. I was like, yeah, yeah exactly. those, those are sort of the go-to, uh, when you think of four on the floor, I'm, I'm trying to think if there's a, like a, like I will survive by, uh, is that Gloria Gaynor? Who's yes, it is. Um, yeah. Yeah, that's a great example of four on the floor. He references the Billy Jean pattern, which is not four on the floor. Do you know what that is? Yeah, yeah 100%. Is, <laughs> so he's saying, yeah, he's saying the Billy Jean pattern is different from four on the floor. Yeah, he's saying it's one and three. Yeah. Yeah, that's exactly what it is. Um, yeah, Billy Jean is sort of like the Bible when it comes to laying down a really simple, groove that makes everyone in the room shake their high can i curse on this thing yes you uh, can uh, <laughs> shake their a double s's How about that? <laughs> oh god me, me in the middle <laughs> um yeah uh and that was a drummer named i think he just passed away not too not too long ago actually his name is ndugu chancellor oh wow um yeah uh amazing drummer and he's one of those guys that wasn't known for playing flashy. He was known for playing really uh, simple, straightforward stuff and making it feel really good so that everybody who heard it, who heard it couldn't help but shake their ass. Um, yeah, that well, so that's so interesting because the post was about Hamilton Bohannon, who just passed away oh, recently. Word, yeah. Yeah, and yeah. that's that's what the, the, this conversation was sparked because Hamilton Bohannon died, and he said his style of the unmistakable four on the kick and the stare mm-hmm. made me, you know, and that's that's what got this whole conversation started, which I which I found so fascinating to kind of break apart for people who listen to music wholly and aren't aren't as you know mm-hmm. familiar with the drum patterns kind of identifying the stuff that we love for that reason but we don't know why you know and and he talks yeah uh i think i can't get no satisfaction was the the four oh. four that he yeah yeah um that's like yeah four on the floor kick and snare like almost the whole time so, right 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 um, right uh, and yeah, it's like un unrelenting, just driving pulse. And there's something about that, man. It's so simple and it's so undeniable. And when it's played uh, with conviction and some chutzpah, 
so to speak. Right. Uh, it's just, it's undeniable, man. Um, yeah, that's a great example of that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, and then he talks about Billie Jean is one and three and the snare is two and four, which mm-hmm. is more typical kind of dancey music. Yeah, that's like, that's like disco. I mean, that song is basically disco without the kick drum on all four beats. Right. So, so within those styles, how does a drummer differentiate? Like, how do you make it your own? How do you, you know, like, because there's something methodical about obviously drumming, but there's something analytical, like mathematical about percussion, Mm -hmm. you know? So how do you both subscribe to the trends of what the, the beat has to be and then also make it interesting? That is a great question. And that depends on the situation you're in. Um, and this might be interesting for people who aren't in the music industry or aren't, or aren't performers to, to know or to hear about. Uh, it, it really It's really situational. I'm very lucky with St. Paul and the Broken Bones that it's a, it's a band, meaning that everybody has creative input. Mm-hmm. And when I came in, when I, when I started playing with them, they were like, hey, here are the songs. Um, you know, play the songs play, play the parts, but feel free to, uh, take liberties here and there and play it the way you hear it and feel it. Um, as opposed to if you, if, if you were to go and play on any instrument really, but, uh, on drums specifically, if you were to go and play with like, I don't know, a Miley Cyrus or some right, huge, right, right. Like, mega pop act, yeah. there is no, there is no making it your own. You play no. the parts or you're fired. Right. Um, you're basically uh, just like reenacting the same thing from the track. Yeah, exactly. And it is it is very much a, a do or die scenario in a lot of those. Not saying that there aren't little uh, sections where you can improvise or whatever, but mm-hmm. uh, for the most part, you are playing the part. Um, so in my situation with St. Paul, like I said, I'm lucky enough that it feels like a group of peers and we're all playing together. Um, and we're creating together. So like if I want to improvise a little bit or make it my own, so to speak, I can do that. And when it comes to how I do that, it's just, it's just one of those things like, like any craft or skill set. the more you do it, the deeper you get into it, the more you learn the isms of every, uh, genre or every subgenre. uh, you, you learn that like, Oh, this, this type of pattern is going to sound good here this is going to work here Mm -hmm. Um, so some of it is like a technical knowledge of the inner workings of it and some of it is just intuition from not even necessarily sitting down and practicing what you're going to play on it on a song but just like listening to a lot of music right and letting your ear guide you so that you know when the band is doing this I need to when the when the band is playing X, I need to play Y right. because that's going to feel good based on all these recordings I've listened to over the course of my life. You know right. what I mean? Right. It's a compounding experience. Yeah. Was that a, a pun about percussion <laughs> with the pounding? <laughs> I'm, I'm here all night. night. Um. <laughs> okay. I'm sorry. No. <laughs> Um, so let's talk about St. Paul and the Broken Bones. How did you get hooked up with them? Uh, do you know Chad Fisher? He is a musician. Uh, I feel like yes. 
he's he's one of those guys. If you if you live in Birmingham, you've heard his name because he's just sort of per, pervasive right. in that scene. Um, he's he's a trombonist, uh, band leader, composer. Um, I worked with him when I was in college. He was one of the first dudes uh, when I was young and hungry and just wanted to play. I would go to his gigs a lot. He asked me to play just because he saw how hungry and eager I was and then found out I, I didn't totally suck at it, so he kept calling me. So anyways, I played with him through college. Then I moved away. I moved to New York, and then I ended up over here in Atlanta. Um, but we kept in touch on and off. And Chad, uh, I guess four, about four years ago now, four or five, he got the gig with St. Paul. Their original trombonist left, and Chad got the gig. And then coming up on two years ago now, they parted ways with their last drummer, and they needed a last-minute replacement uh, or sub at the right. time was what they were thinking. They needed a last-minute sub for their album release tour for the last LP they just put out called Young Sick Camellia. So I got a call from Chad the end of August 2018, and he said, hey, I was in a recording session in Atlanta. He called me and I picked up. And uh, he said, hey, uh, so I know this is last minute, but what are you doing tomorrow? And how would you feel about being gone until Thanksgiving? <laughs> and I was like, uh, well, and so, well, uh, yeah. And so I called Aaron, uh, my now fiance, girlfriend at the time. Uh, I was like, hey, so uh, St. Paul just called me to go out with them for like the next, you know, three months. Yeah. What, what do you think about that? Yeah. Are you, are you a dumbass? You should probably go do that. Yeah. Duh. Um, pack. <laughs> yeah. So I basically dropped everything. I called all my students that I was teaching at the time and all the local gigs that I had, all the band leaders. And was just like, Hey guys, I got this opportunity that I cannot pass up. I gotta, I gotta do this. And thankfully everybody was super understanding and supportive. And I, yeah, I left the session as soon as I was done came home, pulled as close to an, I, I pulled as much of an all-nighter as I could until I just literally couldn't keep my eyes open anymore. And right. I I made cheat sheets for all the songs. Yeah, shedded uh, all the songs. Yeah, just practiced my, like, well, mentally practiced my butt off because I didn't have time to sit behind a drum set with them. And then the next morning, woke up, threw some clothes in a bag, drove to Birmingham and did a rehearsal. And then, uh, to sort of get to the point here, we we did uh, like a month in, I guess all in all, maybe close to six weeks in the States and then about three and a half weeks in Europe. Uh, and it was all supposed to be a sub, oh, sub wow. scenario. And then they were like, hey, we really like having you around. How would you feel about coming on board full time? And that was that. Oh, that's awesome, dude. What a jackpot of like a sub call too. Dude, no kidding. Um, Seriously. I don't kid myself for a second um, because you can put all the preparation in the world into what you do. But if you don't get lucky and get that call totally, uh, from totally. the right person at yep. the right time and all the, all the puzzle pieces line up in the right way, then... I mean, it's, I, I got very lucky. There's no doubt about that. For sure. And, and this band is so like right up your alley Definitely. and, and so interesting and so unique. They have such an, such a unique style. His voice is bananas. Yeah. I don't, Paul is a, he's a madman. Like, oh my God. So how do you characterize this genre? And oh my God, his voice, like, do, what is yeah. his, his history? 
Paul grew up singing in church. Um, he's Clearly. speaking of being <laughs> technically oriented. Paul is the opposite of that. Really? Paul just yeah. He just grew up singing in church, absorbed all the melody. Like he just learned tons of songs. And I actually asked him early on in the band because uh, if you've listened to the band, you know his range is crazy, insane. Just, yeah, it's it's just crazy. So I asked him one day. I was like, man, so how how did you learn? How did you train your voice to be able to sing such a wide range? Was that something you practiced? He was like, no, it just sort of happened. Uh, he said when he was young, he really loved uh, Disney soundtracks. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And so he would learn songs off of them and he would learn to sing the male and the female parts. Right, right, right. Yeah. So I guess it just sort of happened that way. Well, and all those songs are high tenor, too. So that probably stretched yeah. out his vocal range pretty decently. Right. Yeah, that, ma that makes sense. But yeah, Paul is just very uh, an intuitive musician. He doesn't think technically a lot. And I really respect that about him. It's, it's all about the gut. And like, he doesn't care if what you're doing, he, he doesn't necessarily care uh, how good what you're doing is on a on a technical level, if it has the right feeling, uh, if it, if so it punches true. the audience in the gut, like it needs to, like it needs to, you know what I mean? So true. And I mean, it's just, it is so much more the feeling. It's that like yeah. guttural just pulls it out of you. He's, uh, he's great. He's great. Yeah. He's, he's amazing. And it's, it's really cool performing with him because I always thought I was a really energetic and high energy performer. And then, <laughs> and I, then you met him. And then I started playing with Paul Janeway. And it was it's it's it was so fun, especially early on when I came on. I think I just had this raw energy and excitement. Right, right, right. And so we would play these shows filled with songs that they had been playing for a long time, for the most part, that they had been playing for a long time already. And you're like new to me. Yeah. So it could have been easy for them to just sort of fall into a routine with them. But early, especially early on, and it still happens sometimes, you know, when touring was a thing up until a few months ago. Right. Uh, where we'd be playing and like I would maybe uh, just sort of be going through the motions. Then I would look up and I would look at Paul, like literally eating the microphone cable on stage <laughs> or like jumping off of some speakers or rolling around and rolling himself up like a burrito and a rug <laughs> or doing crazy stuff out in the crowd or like he would, he may be just be singing and then he turned around and look at me and I look like animal from the Muppets <laughs> and I'm sweating like and I'm gritting my teeth. Oh, so it was my favorite of, Muppet, by the way. So he's, he's the greatest. He's the greatest. I want to be animal when I grow up. Seriously, I remember somebody asked me that at some point, and it's on my interview questions. She's like, who's your favorite Muppet? And I was like, it's got to be animals. Like, animals dope. He is <laughs> the best. You're sleeping on animals. Yeah. Because he doesn't 100%. talk. But I'm telling you. <laughs> um, to get to what you asked specifically, Paul started out. <laughs> um, he started out in church. He's a huge Otis Redding fan. So St. Paul started out. Like early on, they were doing Otis Redding tributes. They did a couple of song. They did a couple of shows where they co they covered an, one or two Otis albums front to back. And their first album, Half the City, uh, is still their best selling album, and that's what they got famous for. Sort of doing the retro soul type of thing um, yeah. in that in that vein of uh, Otis.
Chris Redding, Sam Cooke and stuff like that. It's a style that I love so much and I feel like is so kind of inherent in the way we grew up, especially mm-hmm. in the South, yeah. the Bible Belt and in Alabama. It's just like that. It feels just in my blood, you know? And so to hear him sing it now is just, mm-hmm. it, it, it feels like home. Yeah, yeah, uh, definitely. And I think that's why it's resonated with so many people. But the cool, maybe the coolest thing about this band is that everybody loves soul and everybody loves R&B music. But everybody's also really interested in all sorts of other music. So like their last album, Young Sick Camellia, they started messing with, there's like elements of of free jazz on there uh, Mm -hmm. and some of the segues. There's elements of disco. There's elements of like psych rock. um, And we're, we've been recording a lot recently and there's influences that you can hear in there. Everything from like Aphex Twin to Erica Badu to Radiohead. So, and there's, it's always going to have soul in it. There's always going to be a, a strong, like rhythmic thing going on. And there's always going to be Paul doing his super soulful thing on top of it. So that's always at the core of it, but we are all really open to experimenting and trying all sorts of new stuff with the music. So who knows where it'll go next. That's awesome. I'm so how many people are in this band? <laughs> like there's a bunch there's a bunch of people. I feel like it's like Edward Sharp where it's like 41 yeah. people walk out on stage. And I'm like, what is happening? Yeah. Um, what has been traveling and playing with a large band? How has that, how has that been different for you? And did you have like a, Oh my God, how did I get here moment? hundred percent. I, I have that most nights we play shows. <laughs> um, still like there's a moment in almost every show where I look out at the crowd and I'm just like, Oh my God, how is this my life? Um, <laughs> That's got to be great, though, man. Yeah, and I hope that never stops. I'm so grateful for every second of getting to do this. And traveling, uh, it's been great because when you travel with an indie band, uh, I've traveled with a lot of groups that were like trios or quartets, and it's just for the band. Like It's an indie outfit, so the band leader is doing everything. He's driving, he's managing, he's booking uh, everything. So you are with those three or four people. All the time. All the time. Whereas with St. Paul, they're uh, they're like a relatively successful touring act. Um, so we travel on tour buses. So you get a semblance of normal life when it comes to that. And right. then all in all, if it's a full tour, uh, if it's an extended tour, I think there's 14 people that travel with us between band and wow. crew. And so it's like a big family. Um, and like, you don't, you're not spending all your time with two or three people right. go out to dinner with the tour manager one night and the, the basis the next night. And, and it's, it's great. Like, yeah, it's nice. All sorts of different personalities and it feels like one big family. Yeah. So let's talk about you as a composer. I know that drums is your first instrument, but you play mm-hmm. lots of other things and also write as well mm-hmm. has your time with St. Paul and like, you know, touring and, and playing this genre of music influenced the way you're writing for yourself? A hundred percent. All the guys in St. Paul are so creative and they're all such great musicians. Like they're all good at their instruments, but more importantly than that, they're all really creative thinkers. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, that's definitely rubbed off on me. Um, and it's a, it's a very uh, encouraging environment um, yeah that's nice like, i i don't feel scared to bring ideas in nobody's gonna like make fun of me for an idea i brought it if they don't like it they don't like it if they do great 
Mm-hmm. Um, uh, so yeah, it has definitely influenced me. And if anything, it's made me more willing to be myself, be, be less scared to be myself because, uh, in the past I've played, I've gotten to play with a lot of really great artists, thankfully, but a lot, when you're playing with an artist, a lot of times your job is, is to support the artist and bring their vision to life. Mm-hmm. Um, and with St. Paul, it, that's still the case. It's still a band and we're going for a unified sound, but there's, there's a little bit more of, um, uh, creative, creative liberties. And it's, it's more of a democracy than, than a lot of other outfits. When it comes to my music, I am the, I am the creator. And I, I don't know the best way to say it. Like I am the, you're the uh, deity. The, yeah, there you go. I, I am the deity. I get to create <laughs> the world and I get to live in the world and I'm the one who gets to say what stays and what goes. So that's, right. that's really liberating. And that's a big part of the reason why I like writing so much because you get to do whatever you want, however you want. Um, I, I actually, I saw this really interesting interview with Stephen King recently. Um, I know this sounds random, but it relates, I promise. Um, <laughs> He was saying, somebody was asking him, what is, what's your favorite part of the, of writing a book and what's your least favorite part of writing a book? And he said, his favorite part of writing a book is the actual writing process because he gets to create this little world and he gets to learn, get to know the characters and how they, how they act and their little isms and everything. His least favorite part of writing a book is handing it over to the editor because as soon as he does it's not just his world anymore. Right. He has to let other people in. Uh, I thought that was interesting. And that, that sort of hits the nail on the head when it comes to composing and why it's like such a, a a drug. I'm uh, it's like high that, that I've chased because yeah, you get to create this little fantasy world. It's yours and you create all the characters in it and you create the laws and yeah, it's, it's really addicting. And I'm glad I have that outlet in addition, in addition to playing live because Playing live is not a thing right now. <laughs> yep. Nope. Not a thing right now. So in that sense, tell me about this single that you have June 19th. This won't be out by then, but right, right. it'll be out. It, it'll already be out uh, by the time you hear this podcast. You will you will be able to get this single <laughs> somewhere. Yeah, yeah. It will already exist. So tell me about that. I listened to it today. Um, it has some really cool like multimedia components, which which made me wonder why we don't do that more often, because I thought it was All really right. neat. So tell me Thanks about for that. Listening to it, by yeah, the way. yeah, yeah. So uh, this is this is a song I wrote a few years ago. I, I sort of wrote it in memory of my grandmother who passed away a, a few years ago. I was really really close with her, um, mm-hmm. and a lot of times when I'm writing, I start to write something, uh, whether it's a, a chord progression or a melody or, or whatever it is, and I don't realize until I've started writing it that I'm writing it about something right um, you just need until, to get it out yeah it's these feelings are coming out as i'm writing the music and so with that one i had this like melody idea that it started with and it was really pretty and it just made me feel a certain way and then i was as i was trying to develop this and i was sitting at the keyboard i realized that it was like these feelings of my grandmother that i just lost coming out so it's a Aww. it's a very it's a really important song to me because it's just one of those that just sort of came out. Um, right, yeah. Uh, and the multimedia components are actually snippets of my grandmother talking. I um, know, it's so cool. Yeah, so uh, 
six months or so before she passed away. I was for about a year or so up until she passed away. I was going over to her house about once a week and eat lunch with her. And we were just talking, you know, she was, she was very old. She was like mm -hmm. 94 when she passed away. So she had started to repeat stories and things like that. So at some point she started to tell me some of the stories I'd already heard. So I pulled out my phone and recorded it and uh, chopped That's those awesome. up and put them in the song. But the song is already out on as like a yep. drum performance video on YouTube. But it's so easy when you see that video to think like, okay, this is about his drumming. And so the song to me is really important. So I wanted to put it out on streaming platforms because I want it to exist as a song, as like a whole package, not just watch me play drums to this music. Definitely. You know what I mean? And yeah, that's, that's that uh, people could get lost in that. You know, I could see how that would make a difference i think yeah. that's i know what you mean as far as something just coming out like as a whole thing a lot of the times you know i write and i play not nearly as you know not professionally but like it there's something to be said for something that just has to manifest itself that just that it mm -hmm. just comes out and that's it is a piece. A lot of the times I think we can get stuck in like, oh, here's a here's an idea for this hook and here's a, a good, you know, melody phrase and here's chords, yeah. whatever. And when something comes out as a whole thing, it's like you almost it's it's too precious to take apart. You know, it's like this is a whole thing and I can't fuck with it. It's just got to yeah. be what it is. Yeah. Um, yeah. That's a very real and very powerful thing. Um, a, a lot of times in the I, I feel like in the purest form of creating any sort of art you are just a vessel for what's trying to come through you i, I heard this this is sort of a testament <laughs> to how real that is and uh and, and how how hard it is to to fight it or, or deny it uh do, do you know who tom waits is oh of course okay just just making sure uh yeah so there, i was watching this interview with, with tom waits and he was talking about just that how sometimes an idea comes through you and you just can't you can't deny it um, but sometimes you can't do anything. You can't do anything about it because of where you are or what you're doing. So he said he was driving along in, I think, L.A. traffic before the age of smartphones. And all of a sudden, this uh, this melody just comes and, like, thumps him in the head mm -hmm. and, like, fully formed. It's like, oh, oh, my God, I, I, I got to do something. I got to get this out of me. Uh, <laughs> and he, he didn't have a notepad. He, he didn't have anything to record it with. Um, and he said he stopped and he looked up at the sky and he was like, seriously, right now, <laughs> go, go down the street and give us the Leonard Cohen or something like that. Right. Uh, yeah. Some, sometimes the music is just the sort of a, a means to an end to, to get the, get the message out and you are just the messenger. To process something. Yeah. So yeah. It's a very real and very powerful thing. I dig it. That's awesome. I love, I love, uh, the feeling and the message behind it. I want to do something similar with my grandmother. My grandmother's 96, oh, 95, wow. 95, 96. I think she's she still in Alabama. No, she's in South Carolina. She's always been in South okay, Carolina. Gotcha. Um, gotcha. But I think she just turned 96 in March and she's Whoa. smart as a whip and like so sassy. I don't know where I got it from. <laughs> um, <laughs> she's so great. And, and I actually, have started doing that's funny you say that I started doing the same thing so like when I would call her I would record mm -hmm. like chunks of the conversation because just to have you know yeah um and I actually I'm, I'm considering having like 
well, doing a podcast episode without her knowledge of just recording one of our phone conversations <laughs> and asking her some questions, you know, because she has, like you were saying, she has better days. Some days are better mm-hmm. than others, you know, but the same thing, but just kind of doing it on purpose in a sense of like asking these questions and, and recording it just to have it for the future, because like, you know, she's not going to be around and she's like literally my favorite person. So yeah. Anyway. Um, so I like to ask musicians, uh, three hot takes on songs, albums, old, current, you know, love, hate, whatever you want to do. Something interesting, something fascinating to people who wouldn't know by just listening to the song or what makes it sure. cool or whatever. Um, okay. So let's do three hot takes. Dig it. Okay. Um, so three songs or albums, right? Any, yeah, anything. It's, yeah. Okay, cool. Um, I will, I'll start with one that is maybe a little more underground. Uh, well, relatively underground she's a massive artist uh, there's a bjork i mean bjork's huge most people yeah. know who bjork is but there's this album she put out in 2004 um that is one of my top five albums of all time it's called medulla and that album blew me away the first time i heard it which was probably back in like 2006 or something um and still holds up i get chills every single time i hear that album and the entire album is all vocals except it's either live or sampled vocals except for piano on one track and it is so badass and so powerful Is that just like beatbox beat the entire time underneath this whole thing? Because it's fucking fascinating. Yeah, that's actually Rozelle. Rozelle was big in like the early 2000s. He did some stuff with The Roots, but he was like famous in his own right. And he's an amazing beatboxer, just like maker of music with his mouth. And she's she's got a bunch of heavy hitters on there. She's got the, the two that come to mind are Rozelle and this guy named Mike Patton, who most people know. Faith No More. Of, yeah, Faith No More. Um, yeah. But he also has all these crazy projects um, where he's doing all this avant-garde vocal acrobatics, basically, like uh, stuff like Mr. Bungle and uh, Phantomas. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. And actually, Mike uh, Mike Patton did the voices, the sounds for the zombies in, uh, oh, what was the name of the... I think it was an Asimov book that uh, Will Smith starred in. Legend, I am Legend. Yes, I am Legend. He did the he did the zombie voices for I am Legend. Oh, nice. Yeah, interesting. Um, yeah, so that whole album is all either processed, sampled, or live vocals, except for except for piano on one track. Now, if you look up the video version of Who Is It, which I think was the single off that record on YouTube, there are bells on the on the single version, but on the album version, it's all vocals. That's crazy, man. That's wild that everything is is vocal and not an yeah. instrument. That's nuts. Um, yeah. That beatbox is insane. But I was going to ask you about beatboxing because I know from personal experience that you can beatbox. <laughs> um, I know yeah. this for a fact. <laughs> that 
album is actually where I learned to beatbox. No way, really? Uh, yeah, because uh, I was so obsessed with that album. A friend of a friend of mine showed it to me, and I'd never heard anything like it. And I just became obsessed with it. I listened to it over and over again, and uh, especially Rozelle's beatboxing on "Who Is It" is just so good that I remember being when we were at UAB when we were in college. I would drive around when CD players were still a thing. I'd have the CD in, and I would just hit rewind over and over again and beat, beatbox along with it in my car. Yeah. And I'm not a great beatboxer, but any skills I do have in that in that realm are because of that album. You're pretty good. You're pretty good. I remember being impressed. But I was also like, is this something that every drummer has to know how to do it's to be of, able to like communicate the sounds of a drum kit? You know, it is important. I think it is important to be able to sing what you play. So I guess that's <laughs> there's like this whole subculture of beatboxing. Rozelle is one of the more famous ones. There's this guy who got really famous uh, in that world named Beardy Man. Uh, he's from <laughs> from from somewhere in the UK. But he will do entire live shows, sold out club shows, all with his voice. He's like sampling his voice and looping it. And it's the stuff he can do is not of this world it is unbelievable. And yeah, the whole subculture is really fascinating. This just reminded me, I have a friend who's a beatboxer, Heaven. He's he's crazy, dude. I like I braided his hair in my living room one night and he was like beatboxing with a couple of friends of mine. And I was just like, you are insane. That's crazy, <laughs> like, so man. So good. Ugh. So good. All right. So what's your second take? Take two. Okay. Um, Bjork is real modern and that, that album is pretty experimental and out. So for not modern and less experimental, uh, Aretha Franklin live at Fillmore West, another, Probably top five albums. That album is so dope. Unbelievable. Oh my God. Um, have you heard the King Curtis album? That uh, It's from the, the same night. His band is her backing band, and they did the opening set. First really? track on there is Memphis Soul Stew, and it is just outrageous. It's so funky. But, I mean, the band is just it is an all-star, all-star band. Like Billy Preston, Jerry Jamont, Bernard Purdy, King Curtis – uh, it's it's just stacked. Uh, Ray Charles does does a song on there. Wow! Yeah, that album is amazing, front to back, and you can feel the energy that was in the room that night. And Aretha is just in tip top shape. It's yeah, she that's outrageous. like her prime. Yeah, um, not to mention that like the set list is oh my god out of this world. Yeah, that I'm thinking specifically right now of they do Dr. Feelgood on that. Yeah. And there's some vocal stuff she does on that that still makes the hair on the back of my neck stand up. Oh, that's awesome. God, yeah. That that whole album, Back to Front. And as far as drummers go, Bernard Purdy, who's, whose birthday was just yesterday, actually. Oh, nice. Uh, is the greatest, arguably, not really even arguably, I'm going to say it, greatest R&B drummer of all time. He's definitive. He is you heard hit. it here first. Yeah. He is the hit maker. He is the <laughs> guy that got hired to play on friggin' everything. Um, wow. Yeah. You have heard uh, Bernard Purdy on everything from Aretha Franklin to Steely Dan to 
arguably the Beatles. There's a lot of rumors that he might have replaced Ringo on some stuff. Wouldn't surprise me. Ringo's not the strongest. Right. Well, that could be a whole other <laughs> podcast. Um, That's true. Um, There's probably like a r- dedicated Ringo podcast. Yeah, yeah. But Bernard Purdy has also been sampled and is in a zillion hip-hop song. Wow. Yeah. He's the greatest. That's awesome. Yeah, that that whole album's insane. Yeah, unbelievable. Yeah, if anyone listening has not heard that, highly recommend front to back. Find it, get it on vinyl. It's pretty easy to find. Oh, uh, I would love that on vinyl. God, it it is. Uh, yeah, it is gold. I believe, and I don't I don't know if you could even correct me if I'm wrong, because I think this was before your St. Paul time. I have a vinyl St. Paul record oh. from years ago that is shaped like the state of Alabama. Oh, and yeah. is red, and it came out on Record Store Day. Mm-hmm. Um, because I was like, of course I want a vinyl shaped like Alabama. What are mm-hmm. you kidding? And I scored it, I think it was like 2014, 2015. Yeah, yeah. It's a collector's item now. Stay yeah. in my vinyl collection. 14 or 15, that would have been, uh, how many years ago was that? That was six or seven years ago. So I guess, Five or six? Okay, I I think, I could be wrong, but I think they did that for Sea of Noise, which was their second LP, and I remember hearing about that when I when I joined the band. That was, that was pretty dope, yeah. It's really rad. I mean, yeah, it's 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 an LP because you can't fit more than two or three songs on it, but it's uh, it was really cool, and that's like early on when they were doing vinyl shaped like other things before they started like printing in crazy colors and and doing Mm -hmm. cutouts and all that kind of stuff it was like really cool and then for it to be shaped like alabama i was like oh yeah definitely (laughs) sign me up yeah yeah uh okay so take number three okay i'm gonna i'm gonna do an audible here um because okay uh, because we talked about this a little bit beforehand and i mentioned the new i'm I'm gonna give it a mention i I mentioned the new tame impala record which is great great front to back great songwriting and speaking of grooves there's so many heavy dance grooves on that record really really great but because we talked about quest love and we talk about we talked about uh rhythms that like have an impact on people and have impacted music i'm going to talk yes. about voodoo by d'angelo oh nice yeah that i mean that is like rhythm section bible and there's actually speaking of quest love there's actually this really great interview with him. I think it's Red Bull Music Academy or something like that. Yeah. Yeah, that was a thing a couple of years ago. Yeah. Have you seen this interview? No. Okay. Well, he's talking about the process of making Voodoo. And Voodoo uh, was, it's, it's not the album that created Neo Soul, but it's arguably like the, it was the biggest juggernaut of the Neo Soul era. It's the one that like blew that whole scene up because it was so revolutionary and they did so much new stuff. The production style, they were pulling a lot from uh, Jay Dilla, like a famous hip hop. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So Questlove talks about playing what he calls drunk playing. And if you listen, <laughs> if you listen to that album, the first track on there, uh, I think it's called Play a Play a Play a Play a. Yeah. Um, right and it's got these snaps up top just like keys bass and snaps and then the drums come in and the drums are so behind the beat it almost sounds like the band is in one spot and the drummer decided to play just a fraction of a second (laughs) behind oh god and if you listen real close you can hear it Down 
And he said that when they were making that album, this was in this in this period where he calls it the the Soul Quarians, uh, this group <laughs> of people like D'Angelo and Common and Erica Badu. Yeah, yeah, and, yeah. And we're making all these records in Electric Ladyland in New York. So they were making all these great records, and then they go to make D'Angelo's Voodoo, and D'Angelo starts telling Questlove to play drunk and play behind the beat, and Questlove fought him on it. I was like, listen, I can't do that, man. I'm going to get made fun of. Like Everybody's right, right, going right. to think I can't play. And then he did it, and it like revolutionized music. Because Jay Dilla had already done it. If you haven't listened, if you're listening and you haven't ever listened to Jay Dilla, uh, go pick up like The Shining and Donuts are the two that I, that introduced me to Dilla, where I, I first like really figured out what he was up to. And he, uh, I, I won't go into a ton of detail, but he sort of started that drunk rhythm thing because he would he would play the drums into his uh, MPC, his drum pad, his electronic drum pad. And he wouldn't use the quantize function. And if you're not a musician and you don't know what that means, that basically means you play the notes into your computer and then you hit this quantize button and it snaps all the all the notes to a grid so they're perfectly in time. Right, right. Which if you listen to pop music, top 40 radio, pretty much everything you hear is quantized like that. And Jay Dilla right. didn't do that, which sort of gives his music this like loose drunk feeling. And Questlove... That album Voodoo was the the album that like popularized a real drummer trying to play like that. That's awesome. I had I had no idea, but I do remember Questlove talking about in that same thing that I was I was referencing earlier. Questlove was talking about how he got his start as a drummer by being so reliable. Like you could only tell that I was a good drummer because mm-hmm. I didn't call attention to myself. Right. You know, yeah. like I was so on the metronome that that's the only way I could showcase that I was good is by being non-obtrusive, you know? And so I think Jay Dilla bringing him onto the new stuff, like gave him that freedom to kind of break out of that and call attention in in his own way, in a new way. And thankfully it worked because it like spawned an entire new genre of (laughs) music. Yeah, Yeah, I do remember hearing Questlove talk about he would play on these albums and let friends hear it and his friends would argue with him and tell him, no, that's not you. That's a drum machine. Wow. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But it was really just Questlove being so perfect that you couldn't tell the difference. Right. Yeah, that's what he was saying. He was like, I, I made my start by just being a metronome. Yeah. And I, I was so good that I was not showcasing what I could do by just like blending into the background. And there's right. space for that. You know, there's there's room for that. But there's also room for, you know, making totally crazy different decisions. Yeah. Um, there's a if you want to hear a, another example of Questlove stretching out a little bit. Uh, the, do you know who Roy Hargrove is? Uh, Roy Hargrove is a jazz trumpeter. He just passed away a few years ago. But everyone he, is dying. Yeah, I know. But he was part of that Soulquarians movement. He played on Voodoo actually. And Roy Hargrove had this group called the RH Factor, which was real like R&B, neo-soul centric. And they put out an album called Hard Groove. And Questlove is playing on most, if not all of it. And you can hear him stretch out a little bit. And that, that album is really great. 
Nice. I'm, I should make a um, Spotify podcast playlist because we all talk about, we all reference songs every time, you know, a musician comes on. We were all referencing things. And I always end up having to like go back and look them up later. But I should make a playlist so everybody can like reference all the things that we're talking about. Dude, that's a great idea. Yeah. I would support that. Yeah. I will add that to my list of things <laughs> to do. <laughs> Because, I mean, I've had people on so far that, you know, my friend Rob and I talked about music for an hour and 40 minutes and he's oh, re- wow. like, so his hot take for people who should have already listened to that episode. Thanks. Uh-huh. It's the first one. Um, <laughs> it's his episode. His hot take was Tears for Fears Shout. Oh, nice. Um, okay. And he was like, you just can't write a more perfect song. Oh, wow. And we we broke that apart. Like we listened to that and broke that down. And it really is truly because now I listen to it in a totally different way. So that's what I'm hoping. Like people can go back and listen to this music and hear different things, hear different qualities, hear yeah. different perspectives in a way that they haven't necessarily paid attention to it before you know yeah yeah that's so cool man i applaud you for this effort that is that is awesome hey thanks man bringing it to the people it's a worthy cause yeah (laughs) yeah um okay so what is up with saint paul's tour and when can we see you hopefully soon that is a great question um (laughs) unfortunately because of the state of things the live music industry is just in limbo Nobody is touring. I'll take that back. There's one guy out there that's touring right now. He, <laughs> no one's going to see him, but no, he's going. Yeah, <laughs> no, his, I'm blanking on his name, but it's like Mark Revelit or something like that. He sort of uh, came out of the Reggie Watts school, like comedian, okay, okay. musician. Yeah. He's really great, but he's doing a drive-in tour right now. Oh, okay, which is really smart. But as far as regular old live shows, I going to be a hot minute. I wish I had answers. I have no idea. We were supposed to have uh, like five or six week tour uh, with Tedeschi Trucks band this summer, and that all got postponed to next summer. Yeah. So that is the latest that I have. Unfortunately, I think that's just how it's going to be for a while. Yeah, uh, it sucks. But no large, no large crowds. Yeah. What are you, what are you going to do? So whenever touring becomes a thing again, whenever St. Paul starts playing shows again, we will make plenty of noise about it. Yes. Good. And you can keep up with what I'm doing and where, if, and where I'm playing, uh, at kevinleon.com, uh, or find me on Instagram or Facebook. Beautiful. And I will tag all that stuff in the show notes so you guys can check it out. Uh, if you, I know you teach two lessons, Mm -hmm. if you could tell someone who wanted to start learning drums or a person who wanted to better their rhythm somehow, like mm-hmm. what are the first tips you'd give people? The, the first thing I always do is just try to get someone to tap a steady rhythm on their leg or their chest with a song. And thankfully, most of the time people can do that without a problem. <laughs> Every now and then there's someone who is the if I don't know what you if not being able to hear pitches is tone tone deaf, deaf yeah, I don't know yeah. what not being able to hear rhythm is, but it is a thing, right? Um, it does exist. That would be the first thing. Do exist. To, yeah. Oh yeah. Oh, <laughs> oh my god, I got it. Oh, uh, that would be the first thing, and then uh, I have some really, really, really simple um, sort of plug and play type things that I have people do up front. And Billy Jean is one of the first songs that we talk about. Actually. Really? Yeah. Yeah. Um, because you, the part is really, really simple and it's easy to, to play along with. So yeah, my suggestion would be listen to music, try to tap along with it and then 
listen to Billie Jean and uh, listen for the the kick and the snare or the if you don't know what those are the the low drum sound and the high drum sound <laughs> alternating the there we go so yeah I'm just gonna sample that how's that it's great humming and beatboxing at the same time mind blowing <laughs> mind blowing multi talented can you dance I don't remember oh no no really so Which is- <laughs> go ahead go ahead no but but like your whole career is based around rhythm right so like how can you not dance oh, first of all drummers have insane like mind hand body coordination and you have to do it's like an octopus where you have to control all four of your limbs at once which right. as a dancer even i don't understand because right. i'm just like i have to do that and stand up but like i don't know how you guys do it but <laughs> how <laughs> your rhythm has to be so good how can you not dance you should talk to my fiance about that because she asked me that <laughs> She says you're. She's like, like, God damn it, Kevin. Yeah, you're you're good at drums. You make your living doing it. Why can't you dance? You're clearly coordinated enough. Oh God, there, I think there are different types of coordination because um, <laughs> behind the drums, I feel pretty confident. I feel like I can coordinate things uh, well enough. But if I'm not behind the drums and I'm trying to coordinate things, I just look like a bunch of elbows. <laughs> A bunch of elbows. Yeah, I just, yeah, you can. Everything's at a right angle all the time. (laughs) Yeah, it's bad. It's not, it's not pretty. Um, Uh, A bunch of elbows. Yeah. um, (laughs) One day I'll add it to the list of things I'm going to do. Learn to dance. Yeah, put it on the list right under uh, release your own EP and for the world and get married and. Now that I think of it, learning to dance should probably trump all those. <laughs> you should move it up. Move yeah. it up on the COVID list. Yeah. There's there's a hundred different, you know, classes and shit you could take right now. Yeah, yeah. Okay, done. I just moved it up in the in the list I have in my phone. <laughs> Above getting married, I have learned dance. to dance. <laughs> Perfect. Good. So I guess you're looking forward to that. Yeah, I'm looking forward to learning how to dance one day. Yeah, hopefully it'll be sooner rather than later. No promises, though. I'm willing to bet when we talk again in a decade, I still will not know. (laughs) You will have known and then forgotten. Yeah. No, you're going to be like, St. Paul will have opened a ballet. You're going to (laughs) be the opening. (laughs) I do look great in a tutu. Well, that's true. Um, (laughs) Thanks for coming, man. Thanks for chatting. This was fun. I feel like we got some inside info. Dude, thank you so much for having me. On all things rhythm. Yeah, it was a pleasure. Uh, I hope I didn't bore you. Uh, completely to tears, but it was uh, it was fun for me to talk about. Good, good. I'm glad. I think people have some homework to do. Yeah, get to it, y'all. You don't have anything else to do right now. Assuming you hear this before the pandemic is over, and let's <laughs> yeah. let's be real, this our life is over, y'all. We're done. So yeah, sorry. You have plenty of time to listen to all this music and teach me how to dance. <laughs> yes. Well, you heard the man. You guys have got homework. Since this episode, Kevin has composed the theme music for Research Project, which you are hearing on every episode. He did a killer job. Also, this interview inspired me to set up my very own Spotify playlist with all of the songs that we reference on all the episodes. You can find it on the website at breecube.com backslash research. It's on the homepage. And on Spotify, the Research Project now has our own page there as well. Go check it out and you can hear all the songs that are referenced on this and the other episodes on the Research Project. See you guys next time.